0: Thank you for joining us today. Our mission at Discover continues to be love God, love people, and impact the world. For more information about us, go to discovercc.org and be sure to follow along with the message notes today on YouVersion. I'll be home for Christmas was written by Kim Gannon and Walter Kent and recorded in 1943 by Bing Crosby. You know, it was originally written to honor soldiers who were serving overseas during World War II and longed to be home for Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents on the tree. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams." This year, many of us may not be home for Christmas, but we can all be hope for Christmas. Christmas is when we celebrate how Jesus left heaven to come to earth so we can go to heaven when we leave earth. As we experience that hope, may we generously share it. I'm so grateful to be part of a church that is full of hope and compassion and truth and generosity and joy and love. Thank you for being a family of people who who follow the example of Jesus, who is the focal point of Christmas. They named it after him, after all. And who is the focal point of our series? We begin with a famous account of Jesus' birth found in Luke chapter 2. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. You know, if anyone had FOMO, the fear of missing out, 2,000 years ago, it might be shepherds. They were low on society's eyes, low on the totem pole, if you will, and and they lived away from the population centers where many exciting things happened. But an angel made sure they wouldn't miss a thing. Still, how, how would they find this baby in such a busy place? Well, evidently, three people with halos, you know, like the ones we see on Christmas cards, wasn't going to be enough. Well, that's because Jesus and Mary and Joseph didn't have halos. Instead, the angel gave the shepherds this clue to find Jesus. You will recognize him by this sign. He'll be in a manger. Now, what if this sign, a manger, Is more than just the place what if it's also about the purpose of Jesus there are numerous things we can learn from Jesus being placed in a manger and we're just going to touch briefly on two of them first Jesus in the manger is a sign of humility several years ago we did a children's Christmas musical when the worship center was in what's now our youth center And one of my favorite songs from that musical was called, What's a King Doing in a Place Like This? A baby in a manger seems kind of strange. What's a king doing in a place like this? Instead of a palace, it's home on the range. What's a king doing in a place like this? He's sleeping in the hay and he doesn't wear a crown. What's a king doing in a place like this? I slipped on something and he almost fell down. What's a king doing in a place like this? Reading from the December 5th entry in our Advent devotional book, quote, Jesus could have been born like other kings in the world of his day, in a magnificent palace surrounded by royal attendants and servants, his birth heralded by an official announcement and a call for all to celebrate. However, his life began obscurely, wrapped in rags and placed in an animal feed trough, attended only by his earthly parents and several farm animals. Why would the king of kings begin his life under such humble circumstances? Well, you'll find the answer to that question in the rest of December 5th's devotion. So be sure to download a PDF of the devotional booklet from our website, or let us know if you need a printed version. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is also humility in the flesh. Jesus lets go of equality with God and embraces equality with people. As it says in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, in your relationships with each other have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Jesus becomes like us. He meets us where we are, Jesus cries, he needs food and clothing and shelter. Jesus is dependent on others. He's he's like us. But as Hebrews 4.15 teaches, Jesus was tempted like us, like everyone else, yet he never sinned. In our discipleship group, we're using a book by Mark Moore called Core 52. And in the chapter on humility, he writes this. Jesus temporarily laid down divine rights of omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience so he could come to earth as one of us in order to lift us up from our fallen state. Jesus descended from, earth, from heaven to earth, a distance too great to measure, so in his ascension we could be lifted up to our original creational dignity. This whole idea is expressed in the word incarnation, Jesus robed himself in flesh so we could participate in his divine nature. Though this is the great mystery of Christianity, it's also a practical necessity. The kind of humility Jesus showed is precisely what makes good parents, good CEOs, good generals, and good coaches. End quote. Jesus in the manger is a powerful example of humility. A second message of the manger is so simple, I think we might overlook it. So what is the simple message? Well, here's an idea to kind of help us think in that direction. So for example, what is the purpose of a pencil? Well, we use a pencil to write with. Or when I was in seventh grade, we used it to have pencil fights. That's the purpose of a pencil. What's the purpose of a computer mouse? Well, it's to navigate on a computer. What's the purpose? of a packet of Skyline chili hot sauce. It's to make that already delicious, wonderful chili even better. So what's the purpose of a manger? It's a sign of intentionality. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is placed in a manger. I think this is an intentional sign of who Jesus is. As our devotional reading mentioned, a manger is an animal food trough. Food is essential. It's elemental to our lives. And I believe this is powerful symbolism. Jesus is indispensable spiritual nourishment for us. Passages like John 6 emphasize this biblical truth. In verse 30, we we pick up, we listen in, as some people are, are having kind of a heated discussion with Jesus. And so in verse 30 it says, So they asked him, What then will you give, or what sign then will you give, that we may believe you and see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know, it's pretty funny that they asked Jesus for a sign because right before this, Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people with just five small loaves of bread and two small fish. What sign will you give us? Come on. Jesus is the sign. And this sign is much more than what he can do. It's who he is. And that's what he says as he continues. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. As Michael Card writes, the people come asking for bread, not realizing that Jesus is the bread. They ask for a new miracle, not realizing that he is the miracle. He is the true bread from heaven, not the Old Testament manna. Jesus has spoken a deep spiritual truth. So we can expect the response of the crowd will be misunderstanding. Oblivious to the depth before which they are poised, stubbornly they stick to the request for a free meal. Jesus is the bread. He is the nourishment that our souls crave. And it's so great. In verse 35, Jesus says, this nourishment, this food is for Whoever, whoever comes to and believes in Jesus will be satisfied. Feeding 5,000 people with just a few pieces of food was an amazing thing. But it was a finite number of people. Only those who were there that day experienced it personally. But Jesus says, whoever, anyone can be nourished by God. And whoever comes will never go hungry or be thirsty the thousands who ate the bread and fish were hungry again because that food was finite Jesus is the only infinite spiritual nourishment for you for me for everyone all people in all places at all times he is the food we need and this nourishment laying in a food trough this baby in a manger points to an adult on a cross. Returning to John chapter 6, starting in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so it is with the one who feeds on me, and they will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Whoever eats and drinks deeply of Jesus will be nourished we'll be satisfied, we'll be transformed, we'll thrive, not just today, but forever. And you know, the spiritual nourishment that we need, it it isn't the celebration of Christmas or of Easter or of Passover, it's Jesus. Because Jesus is the embodiment of Christmas and Easter and Passover, And when we place our faith in him, we are saved by grace. And it began 2,000 years ago in, of all things, a manger.
1: It was a moment where the mercy of God was on full display where love outweighed the crimson stain, the sin which made communion with God impossible. This death, this stench sent from the depths would no longer be left to permeate the hearts of man. The creator was longing for his creation. For on this day, love made a way for grace to take away, erase, replace our brokenness. For God so loved the world, He sent His only Son, the Promised One, had come to change our eternity. moment in Bethlehem in a lowly stable under a starry sky, Jesus was born, our Savior, our Messiah, grace in a manger.
0: At this time, we invite all believers in Jesus to share in a time of communion with God, giving thanks for the life that we have because Jesus gave his life for us. You know, whether you're by yourself right now or, or with a small group of people, we are all together, one body, celebrating and remembering what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. God, we give thanks that we can be at home forever in heaven, because Jesus is our hope. We thank you for the sacrifice he made, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. We bring our brokenness to you, knowing that you care, that you forgive us, that you